Ah, that suggests that what you fear most of all is fear. Very wise, Harry. With this quote from Chapter 8 in Harry Potter and the Prison of Azkaban, I start my new episode, Five Lessons from Hogwarts, How to Overcome Fear. Welcome if you're a fan of Harry Potter, and if you're not, I promise, like before, that there is enough food for thought for you as well. Because I will be combining the lessons from Hogwarts with lessons from modern neurosciences. I am Theresia Tauber, and with my episode, it's like with recipes. I actually tried them out before passing them on to you. In the case of fear, for instance, this included a time when I had been diagnosed to maybe have um, a lethal disease. We all have times when we feel more fear and times when we feel less. And you know, as well as I, that fear can be a good thing, warning you of a danger so that you can prepare and take action. But I guess we both also know that sometimes fear is just simply overwhelming and sort of taking control. If you want an example from Harry Potter, when Harry faces an enormous black dog growling at him, that's okay to have fear. On the other hand, when his divination teacher tries to scare him with prophecies of untimely death, fear is not the reaction of choice to deal with the situation. In the following 10-15 minutes, I'll go through the advice against fear that I found in Hogwarts. And I will add insights from neuroscience and from mindfulness meditation to show that this is not a fairy tale, but the fairy tale gives access to insights that are absolutely valid in completely normal, non-magical life. So advice number one is turn to someone you trust. Harry does that repeatedly and then you can go to people on eye level to your friends, to get another perspective, or just not to be alone with your fear. Like Harry does when he talks to Ron and Hermione. Or else you can see someone stronger and require his or her support. This is also something that Harry does a lot. He goes to Professor Lupin, asking him to teach him something. Or he goes to Professor Dumbledore to get advice. So turning to someone you trust is certainly the first thing to do. Advice number two, create a Patronus. So in non-magical words, this means try to resort to a source of resilience. And that Patronus, this source of resilience, is in real life, as in the book, born from a happy memory. Usually, this memory involves a connection with someone you love. And actually, attachment research shows that this is so true. Attachment means the relationship between parents and their young kids. Balby and Ainsworth, you can see the literature in the show notes, they could show that kids who have a so-called secure attachment, kids who have been loved, that they have higher competencies in emotional balance, in fear regulation and many other things. Daniel Siegel found out that through mindfulness meditation, we can build up that same type of resilience, that same type of emotional balance and fear regulation, 
The source is attached in the show notes. And advice number three. Those who know Harry Potter know the spell ridiculous. Remember? In the book, the students practiced with a boggart. And I really love the image which J.K. Rowling created. A boggart is a creature that might or might not be completely harmless. We don't know. It's a shapeshifter and only shows itself in the form of something that I fear when it meets me. So it derives its whole power from something that I fear. Great image for so many things that scare us. And here is how you overcome it, according to J.K. Rowling. And I'll read from the story itself, from Chapter 7, The Boggart in the Wardrobe. Precisely, said Professor Lupin, it's always best to have company when you're dealing with a boggart. He becomes confused. The charm that repels a boggart is simple, yet it requires force of mind. You see, the thing that really finishes a boggart is laughter. What you need to do is force it to assume a shape that you find amusing. I would like all of you to take a moment now to think of the thing that scares you most and imagine how you might force it to look comical. In real life, fear creates in our brains a fight, flight or freeze reaction. The problem with that reaction originating from the amygdala and the limbic system is it only helps with immediate physical dangers. Most of our fears have to do with things that are not immediate and not physical. They are long-term. So if our brain stays in that fight, flight, freeze reaction all that time, it only adds to the very stressful chemistry in our brain. This is why turning something potentially threatening into something comical is such a great idea. But, as Professor Lupin also pointed out, it requires strength of mind, and that's where mindfulness comes in. Mindfulness meditation is a very, very powerful way of dealing with fear. However, before trying this out, check if it is safe for you. Remember, again from the Harry Potter story, Harry's own reasons for fear were so big he went unconscious whenever he tried to face it. Or Molly Weasley in The Order of the Phoenix couldn't deal with a boggart because she had such immense fear for the lives of members of her family. So she couldn't overcome that boggart alone. If you have reason to believe that your fears are too many or too, too big to handle them alone, then don't face your fear alone, not even in meditation. Go back to advice number one, seeing someone you trust. But if you think you can handle it alone, here's how it works. And lots of people in MBSR, mindfulness-based stress reduction programs, have already successfully tried it out, including myself. So you sit and meditate. And at some point, one day, fear wells up. Could be a fear of losing someone, could be a fear of failing something, could be any type of fear. And then, instead of being carried away by that fear, just try observing it or holding it in awareness. 
That's the whole thing, but it's very difficult. You might need a bit of meditation practice before you tackle fear. So first, I advise you to practice observing your breathing in a very, very basic breathing meditation. Through that, you practice focusing your mind. Then, in the next step, when you feel you have a little bit mastered that already, you practice observing sounds in the environment. And again, without being drawn into the sources of these sounds, without thinking about them, just like it's a room full of sounds unfolding around you. And then, in the next step, you may practice observing bodily sensations while you're sitting and meditating. How do your feet feel on the ground? How do your shoulders feel? Which muscles are still tense? Can you let go of the tension without falling off your chair? And again, not going deeply into these sensations, but just observing them, like they were outside phenomena. And then, in the next step, you may practice observing thoughts. Again, the same thing. Only observing them, not following them. Just take note of them, let go, and the next thought pops up. And you sit there and maybe your thoughts are like firework on the sky and they don't linger. And you just watch the sky with all the thoughts that are unfolding and coming and going. This may take weeks, even months or longer. And whenever you feel ready, then you may try to observe strong emotions like fear, for example, without being drawn into these emotions, without following them. If that doesn't work in the first attempt, just quit and go back to observing your breathing. That's always the safe anchor, since you've practiced that again and again and again. And it will take your mind off the fear. Now I have a secret to share with you. At least it was a secret for me. Fear never stays for a long time. I learned that from a great psychologist called Rainer Piritz. So, if there is no immediate concrete threat which requires action, all you need to do is to sit the fear out. Sit out the wave of fear without feeding it, without making it stronger. When you are observing fear in meditation, you don't need to do anything about it. No action whatsoever required. Nothing to do. Just observe with a curious mind. With a little practice, you can even go further. You can try to see differences between the individual waves of fear, just observing those waves of fear like you're a scientist, watching it from the outside. As long as you observe, you are outside that fear. And from this position, you can easily do that trick. Ridiculous! To my estimation... 90% of our fears are based on boggarts and not on real killer phenomena. Sometime the reason for fear, an illness maybe, or a critical situation in the business, will not go away. 
no matter how hard you meditate. However, clearing your mind will help you to face the situation better and take better decisions. So, if there is something you fear now, find out what helps you most. Advice number one, turn to someone you trust. Advice number two, create a Patronus. Or advice number three, say ridiculous. And maybe, and very probably so, the best is a combination of all three. At least for the latter two, the Patronus and the ridiculous spell, some practice in mindfulness meditation will increase the power of your approach dramatically. So, why not start now and build your resilience? Oh, by the way, and not to forget chocolate. Remember how Professor Lupin always gives chocolate to Harry after a spell of fear? Stress, no matter whether from fear or something else, eats up a lot of energy and that afflicts the brain. Your brain needs glucose and oxygen to be able to work. Nothing wrong with a bit of chocolate. Here our session ends. Good luck with practicing mindfulness so you can have your own, so to speak, Patronus. It really works. Yeah. Theresia.